Thanks for joining us for our podcast, Putting It Together. My name is Christina Clayton, one of the co-directors of the Northwest Mental Health Technology Transfer Center. We are part of a national network to disseminate and implement evidence-based practices for mental health into the field. We are coming to you from Seattle, Washington, and our Northwest region covers Alaska, Washington, Oregon, and Idaho. However, in this virtual world, we have connected with people from all over, and we are very grateful to connect with you today. One of our goals is to provide free training and technical assistance in mental health topics. And now we are offering a podcast because we were told there weren't many podcasts out these days. Just kidding. But truly, we hope you hear some useful information and or inspiration that helps you put it together when working in this challenging and amazing field we call mental health. You can find out more about us, including our live event calendar, free online courses, resource library, and newsletter sign up by visiting our website at mhttcnetwork.org backslash Northwest. We are here for the final installment of the topics related to the learning community that you've been doing for us, which I know not everyone can attend, but they can get this little snapshot from these podcasts, Operationalizing Resilience for Crisis Response Workers. So we have talked about purpose, we've talked about connection, we've talked about adaptability, and today's topic as you wrap things up is hope. Let me just ask you, how has it been going? doing this smaller interactive learning community? And what does hope mean as you round out these topics uh, for this uh, learning community? Yeah, I think it's been going pretty well. Um, My favorite part about a learning community, um, as opposed to a big webinar, is just the opportunity that, you know, people in in this work up to, you know, embedded within it can learn, learn really from each other. They can validate their experiences. There's a lot of good ideas that are shared back and forth. You know, have you tried this or this works for me or, um, and a lot of, a lot of things that resonate with everybody else who's listening. So I really have enjoyed that piece of it. And I think that's gone pretty well. In terms of our final topic today, hope is hope is definitely the most tricky of all four of these ingredients of resilience. It is the most uniquely personal in terms of um, how lived experience really informs a sense of hope. And in preparing for the webinar today, I did some research on different types of hope. The way that I have always talked about it in the context of resilience building is really that sense of realistic hope. What are your opportunities? What are the new ideas, uh, sort of creative options for goal meeting goals, reaching goals, working towards goals that are going to be fulfilling to you um, because I really see hope as fitting with a sense of purpose, uh, potentially reinforcing the other things that we've talked about with adaptability and connection. So it's tricky um, because it is so, so strongly influenced by historical family experiences, lived experience that says, these are my opportunities relative to maybe other people. These are the things that I have had the chance to do. And it's, it's complicated because of that for sure. But it's so incredibly powerful at the same time. You you started with these topics and you have them in an order. I know they're all related. Is there a reason you're ending with this one? And what do, what do you hope for that people will take away from these topics and from this experience? And how can they bring that hope to their work, their personal life? You know, I think we've probably, if not said 
explicitly, you know, a lot of us feel like the same person at work. Um, and if, if we're lucky, we get to feel like that. Not everybody does, we understand. But if we have hope in one area of our life, as you've, I think, said in some other arenas, boundaries, adaptability, all of these skills aren't just exclusive to the work environment. So how does one bring that in? And are you ending on hope for a reason? The answer to that is yes. So I have seven of my own core values and hope has always been the the primary foundational core value for me personally. It is something that I frame my entire clinical life around. I've worked with, you know, in disasters and in, in, the, in an outpatient clinic, working with people with some serious mental health issues, as well as survivors of really, really horrific things. And hope is fundamental to me and how I relate to other human beings. It is like the cornerstone for me. So it's not a coincidence that it's the last one that we're going to end on here. Um, it is certainly the most meaningful for me. And something that I have told many, many clients in the past, I asked someone during the intake session, I was like, how hopeful are you that we're going to be able to make some progress together? And sometimes they say, I'm not very, I don't have very much hope. I mean, I'm here, but I don't have a lot of hope. And one of the things that I've said to people before is, that part of my job, the way I see it, um, in a variety of roles as a teacher, as a disaster responder, and as a clinician, is to hold hope for people when they can't see it or feel it yet. I will hold hope for you on your behalf until you can experience it too. And I mean that genuinely. It is so important. And if I can really express that to them in a way that's that they can absorb, then that sets the stage for the work. And I, I really think that you can apply that same type of thinking to crisis work um, in a variety of different kind of ways. So it's fun, fundamental to me as a clinician and as a person, and I'm really hoping that that will come through in today's um, today's learning community session. What I find remarkable in all the times that we've talked around different events that we've done is I thought it was so poignant that you shared. It's not that you wish these disasters to happen, but what drew you and keeps you in this kind of work, whether it's crisis, disaster, disaster, is seeing that hope and resilience and seeing what people are able to receive, give, experience. So to have people like yourself that really are respectful and value the struggles wherever people find themselves, but that regardless I'd say most of the time, there's something you can reach for. You know, people have been through horrific things and come out. I'm not going to say stronger. I'm not going to say better, but there are ways through some of these really awful situations. And I think, you know, that that holding hope, as you said, is got to be tricky, but also really consistently something that you can use any place where people are finding themselves in really difficult situations. So just wondering how how that came to be that the person that does disaster behavioral health is like so excited about hope. Like, wouldn't that sound like the opposite, but I don't know. I mean, I, it is an, it is an incredible honor. It's the biggest honor of my life to be able to participate in um, oftentimes people's worst experiences alongside them. And also at the same time, sort of be witness to their capacity to recover and to support others and to, to reach out and connect and just being part of that experience and being able to see that and, you know, it is, I, I really do consider it an honor. That's what keeps this, me doing this kind of stuff is that I just, I, I really get to see the potential that humans have in a, in a good way. We're, we're all well aware of the potential, the negative potential of human beings. 
and recovery and resilience in its true form is really a hopeful thing to me. It's based on plenty of evidence for generation after generation of what the good things are that people are capable of. And specifically with this kind of experience, you know, we are aiming to support and connect people who are doing crisis work. And as we've discussed, that spans a lot of things. So it's not just helping after an earthquake across the world. You know, people are doing crisis lines. They're doing outreach, mobile crisis. Can you speak a little bit about how crisis does feel like everyone is doing it? While I think our intention was originally to support the crisis workforce, who has actually come to this is all over the map. And I'm just wondering what you learned about what crisis looks like in all these different settings from the people that have attended. I think that one of the things that we are confronted with right now is sort of this level of extreme that we haven't professionally seen before. I'll just use an example in my in my role as a as a teacher. This last winter quarter has been um, I'm teaching a hybrid class, and in my last week of in person, so we're on Zoom this week, but we were in person last week. My last class, 50% of the kids weren't there. 50% just didn't come to the last day of in person class. And I mean, I think that's a reflection of the degree of crisis that they're experiencing in their own lives for all different kinds of reasons. It's never, it's not the same story. It's not the same experience, but that's a, that's never happened in 14 years of teaching for me. And I really do think it's an indicator of the acuity that we are confronted with that people are seeing in all of the types of job roles that they play. So you don't have to be answering 988 or a crisis line to be confronted with people in crisis in some way. And so I really think that this message today of hope is something that is universally applicable in all of these different types of roles. And if we can, if we can focus on that piece of it, rather than focusing on the crisis itself, but really focusing on the hopeful opportunities and realistic opportunities that that people do actually have and empower them. That's how we mitigate the crisis. We address it. We don't ignore it, but we focus on what's possible and what people are capable of rather than all of the things that are going wrong. You know, when we think about whether it's an occasional crisis that you see in your job or it is what you do all day, Uh, which we certainly are thinking of and wanting to support as well. Bringing that hope, some might say, how could you be hopeful if you're working with the situations where things are the most rough, the most dire? But I really like the way you shared that. Like we can bring and hold that hope. We can have hope beyond this specific incident. We can see that, yes, our society, the field, our agency, our team, you know, there are all sorts of things that you know, I don't want to sound Pollyanna-ish, but it sounds like to me, if we can't hold and bring hope and have some hope inside for ourselves, it's going to be really hard to be truly effective and sustain in the field and be, I don't want to say genuine, but like, what are we instilling or trying to convey to people who are actually experiencing the crisis? I think genuineness is a, is a key feature. Like when I, I'm giving the example of what I, what I say to clients, if you don't actually mean that, that I will be hopeful for you on your behalf until you can see it yourself or access it yourself. If you don't mean that, it goes nowhere. You have to mean it and you have to genuinely believe it. Otherwise, you got to find something else to say. Um, I mean, we all know from a clinical lens, right? Being genuine is a key component of any therapeutic relationship for sure. But when it comes to sort of the ability to share and um, provide a sense of hope to other people, there's no wiggle room here. 
you either can mean it and, and feel it and have it be real, or you have to focus your empowerment elsewhere until you can access hope. <laughs> but I really feel like it's a um, it's an essential piece. It's not an option. As people may hear this and wonder, how do I even get to that place? Maybe I've lost my sense of hope. How do we get back to what maybe brought us here in the first place or what we need to reevaluate and adapt, as you said, what yeah. gives us hope now? Well, one of the things I learned in my research for this uh, this particular learning community was um, about this concept called chosen hope. So there's realistic hope, there's utopian hope, which is more of a collective sense. There's chosen hope, there's transcendental hope. There's four different main kinds, but chosen hope is, I think, what you're referring to here because the example that's usually used with chosen hope is with regard to terminal illness and people who are experiencing incredible physical challenges. And chosen hope is about choosing to look very intentionally about an aspect of improvement that's not big picture. So it's small scale. It's like, what is one thing that's going to improve? One thing we can look towards, one thing that you can be hopeful about on a very, very small scale that's achievable to be reinforcing, to build build that sense of hope. So it's not about fixing the whole problem. I think if we all look at the whole system, it's completely overwhelming and that's hard. It's hard to find hope about the whole big picture, right? But if we narrow our focus to what's happening for the client right in front of us or a small success that they can have or something that they can look forward to, there is genuine hope in that. That's that's true. Um, and so chosen hope is about is about scope and it's about narrowing your focus to something that's accessible. No, that reminds me of stuff we used to say when we would have people start at my old job that we're working in a setting and perhaps in a context that doesn't feel very hopeful. Maybe what we're seeing on a daily basis doesn't feel very hopeful. And if you expand that view, you might feel rather hopeless, but it is that if I'm hearing you correctly, kind of sowing the seed, defining what success is, defining what hope looks like. Hope could be you have that authentic, genuine connection with someone and, and they feel similarly that you were helpful and you hope to be helpful somehow today, you know, that that could be what you are able to rest on and strive for each day. It's not, I'm going to change the whole world. I'm going to end racism. I'm going to stop global climate change, but what can I try to affect? I think those other things are important and we need efforts on those as well, but to kind of come back again and again in a setting where we are facing crises, we do have to find that beacon. Otherwise it will be, it will be a job. And if, if like at worst, maybe something harmful to us. Um, so, yeah. I think you're spot on. I think that's, yeah. Well, we could do this all day, but I know we have to run. Um, Kira, we're going to find a way for you to get back into our training calendar because we will miss you. Um, thank you so much for all that you offer and all that you share. You certainly are a beacon of hope for me. And I have uh, put words to things around concepts and things that we experience. It's just so accessible and um, always with humor and genuineness for sure. So thank you so much for all that you do. Well, thanks so much for having me. I've really, really appreciated being part of this whole process. It's been great. Thank you. You can find resources related to the episode in our show notes. So be sure to check those out. Learn more about us by visiting our website at mhttcnetwork.org backslash Northwest. You can also follow us on social media at NWMHTTC. This broadcast is brought to you by the Northwest MHTTC, which is funded by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, or SAMHSA. However, the content does not necessarily reflect the views of SAMHSA. Thank you so much for listening. 
We look forward to connecting with you again so we can keep putting it together. Take care.